pastor and author at New Life Fellowship in uh, Queens, New York. His name is Rich Velotis in a recently released book called A Deeply Formed Life. The opening chapter noted that in 1901, right, American doctor John Harvey Gardner developed a term called New York-itis. Right? It was a description of a, of a disease with symptoms of people always being on edge, always being impulsive, always changing directions too quickly. Right? This is in 1901, long before televisions, long before the internet, long before social media, long before all the noise that comes at us every single day. 1901, New Yorkitis. Right? And so as we think about our lives, we think about all the different noise that not only surrounds us, that comes at us right, every single day, right? whether it's through our devices, whether it's through TVs, whether it's just being in the car, Right? And, and if we're honest, a lot of us struggle with silence. I know for me, I get in the car and I just want to turn on the radio or turn on some music or turn on a podcast to actually slow down and be silent. It's somewhat of a foreign world in the world in which we live. Isn't that true? We're surrounded by noise on the outside, but also noise that comes from within. And so as we continue in our sermon series called Let's Dance uh, this morning, I invite you to say those words, let's dance. One more time, let's dance. Right, as we enter into this sermon series where my goal is to provide for you some of the key teachings that have influenced my walk with Christ and also that have shaped my leadership as a pastor. Because like all leadership, leadership involves influence and it involves trust. And like a dance, it takes time to develop trust. It takes time to develop a rhythm. But once that rhythm is developed, there is great joy in the dance. And so today's topic along those lines, one that's been very important to me, very formative in my life, is this topic of noise. And the truth that we're going to consider today is that God uniquely meets with us in silence, solitude, and stillness. And in doing so, renews us in a way that only God can. And so as I th we think about noise, see if any of these patterns or any of these observations resonate with you. Uh, descriptions like this. I have way too much to do and not enough time to do it. Does that resonate? Maybe this resonates. I can never finish something because when I'm moving towards finishing something, something or someone interrupts me. Maybe it's just me. Is it you too? Right? <laughs> I feel like I'm burned out and I just don't know why. There's just so much coming at me. I can't even wrap my head around it. Too many emails, too many text messages. Can't keep up on social media. There's a fear of missing out. I feel burned out. Does that resonate with you? Yeah. I see Ned's hot, head's nodding. If you're online, you can put a thumbs up emoji if it resonates with you. All right, as we think about that, those are 21st century descriptions, no doubt, right? But there's another time where that could have applied. And someone else could have said that. And that person who could have said all those things, maybe except for the social media part and text messages and email, would have been Jesus. Jesus. Right in the first century. Because even then, if you were to go up to people, probably then they would have thought, I'm busy. I've got a lot of things pulling at me because we're relational beings. It would have been of a different flavor. But Jesus, if you look at the Gospels, you see someone who lived a busy life. But the difference with Jesus is that he wasn't in a rush. When the noise came to Jesus, Jesus had a way of handling that noise. How did he do that? We're going to look at that today. Because if you look at the Gospel of Mark, right, right from the very beginning when Jesus announced, the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom is near. 
And he began his public mission and ministry. Right when that started, he sprung into action. And you see that specifically in the Gospel of Mark. Mark, maybe more than any of the Gospels, captures Jesus' active life. Immediately, 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 we read that word over and over as Jesus moves from one scene to the next. And right from the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, right away he calls his disciples. And then he starts to heal people, both strangers and family members. Right, and Jesus, even to the point where we read in Mark chapter 1, that people were lining up, lining up outside of a house after sunset. So Jesus was busy all day long. Jesus was busy even late into the night. So how did Jesus navigate the noise of his life? Because he had noise. We get a glimpse of this in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. One verse, which has been highly formative to me. My prayer is that it will become highly formative for you and us as a church family. Listen to this. Verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Right, very early in the morning. Here we receive, we receive a window into the life of Jesus. And we see the way of Jesus. And here we see three aspects of what Jesus practiced. He practiced silence, solitude, and stillness. Say those three words with me. Silence, solitude, and stillness. Right, we see this in this verse, whether directly or indirectly, or in the context of this verse. Right, first, there's silence. He got up before the day, before the sun even rose. Jesus got up early, before the noise, right, before people started moving around, before people started demanding his attention. Jesus got up early, and he had time of silence with God the Father. Not only silence, but a time to be alone. It says he went to a solitary place. Jesus was alone before anyone could come and talk to him or ask him questions or he began teaching. He was alone, solitude. And lastly, there's an aspect of stillness. We see that in the next verses that Peter and his companions came looking for Jesus and they found him. So from that I pull and derive the fact that Jesus was still. He wasn't walking by the Sea of Galilee. He wasn't on the move. He was still. And so here Jesus practiced silence, solitude, and stillness with God the Father. And what was he doing? He was praying. He was praying. And he was praying in a solitary place. Now the word that, uh, that's used in Mark's gospel, solitary place, means so much more than just a desert wasteland. Right? A solitary place, when that word was used, that description was used in the New Testament and the Old Testament, spoke of the wilderness. And that's where God met with his people. And there was a distinct sense of fellowship and restoration that occurred in the wilderness. We see that God led his people in the Old Testament through the wilderness, and he, we read in multiple places in Scripture that he led them not only in terms of where direction where he led them, but also led them into a time of rest and recovery. And so Jesus, right, in that same tradition, in that same stream, goes to a solitary place where even he, Jesus, who's the Son of God, right, fully God, but also fully human, needed that time with God the Father. He needed that time to pray. And we see in the other gospel accounts, and also including Mark, where Jesus is being fully human. Yes, Jesus grew tired. Right? He fell asleep on a boat, on a cushion. We read that later in Mark. Right? Jesus grew hungry. Jesus was thirsty. And so Jesus also needed 
recovery. I believe God in his infinite wisdom, right, came to be with us and, and took on human flesh to show us the way. And the way of Jesus, in terms of the way of restoration and recovery, is here through silence, solitude, and stillness. Right, Jesus realized that he had to be still before he moved forward. And that's a pattern I believe we need to adopt into our lives as followers of Jesus. We need to learn to be still first before we move forward. Right? And we see that in Jesus' life. And where did he get this from? Yeah, he would have seen those examples in the Old Testament in terms of stories, but specific scripture passages that he would have known what we know as the Old Testament through and through. Right? So the great Psalm 46.10, right, where we read this invitation and command. God says, be still and know that I am God. Right? I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Right? Here's both an invitation, right? Be still. An invitation from God, be still. But also a command, be still. And when we hear a command from God, it's, it's a command that's given to us for what's best for us. As we put that into practice, there's a, there's, there's a promise of life. So the first command here is be still. But not just be still and sit around and do nothing. It involves another part. Be still in what? And know that I am God. That's what God says. Be still and recognize that God is God. So once we slow down and acknowledge that God is God, inherent in that is we acknowledge that we are not God. Let me say that again. When we slow down to acknowledge that God is God, we then inherently acknowledge that we are not God that we're ultimately not in control, we are ultimately not the Lord of our lives, but we be still and know that he is God. We worship and praise him. And that's what worship is, as we gather. This is part of the discipline of coming together for worship, is to acknowledge and to be still and recognize that God is God, that we are not. We constantly need to fight what is our hearts, which can be our idol factories that seek to replace God with everything else, including our own will and arrogance and desires. So here we say God is God, we're not God. We say God is God, other people, other possessions, other, our achievements are not God. God alone is God. And hence why the opening lines of the Ten Commandments speak to that uniqueness. So Jesus would have had Psalm 46.10. Another example he would have remembered would have been God's people as they were leaving Egypt, fleeing Egypt away from Pharaoh and the armies. As they came upon to the Red Sea, everything looked dire. It looked like their life was over because they were facing a Red Sea that they, unless someone who was an incredible swimmer, there was no way they were going to get across that Red Sea. And Pharaoh and his armies were chasing them. At any point, if there was any point that the people of God could have said, enough of you, God, we need to take control of our lives, it was right then. But in that moment, Moses spoke these words from Exodus 14, 14 to the people. He said, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Right, that goes against everything, especially today. And I'm, I know, at least for me, every, it goes against everything inside of me that says, when life's getting out of control, I better take control of it. At that very moment where life was feeling completely out of control for God's people, Moses spoke these words. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now the next verse, God says, basically, what are you doing? Get moving. Right? So God told them to, 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 to move, but Moses first told them to be still. Again, this principle of we need to be still before we move forward. 
Right? We saw it with Jesus. We see it with Moses and, the, and God's people. And it applies to us today. We're called to wait upon God to demonstrate trust and reliance on him, especially when life feels out of control. And so Jesus later taught about this. How do we put this into practice? What does this look like? I mean, he lived it, then he taught about it, right? In his words in John 15, part of this block of teaching, right, which is really the last words of the master before he went to the cross, right? John 13, where he washed his disciples' feet, and then all the way through John 17, includes incredible teachings that Jesus left with his disciples. In the middle of it, he included one, one of his I am statements, one of his seven I am statements. He said, I am the vine, and you are the branches, and so this is what it means to, to walk and to remain in Christ when Jesus said this in John chapter 15, starting in verse 4. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. So Jesus in here is teaching his disciples what it means to live this out, to the way of Jesus of it includes silence and solitude and stillness. Here, he describes it as, he says, remain in me. Right? And this is, this is a command. This is Jesus is saying, this is not an option. If you want to live a flourishing life, a life that's not burned out, not withered, he says, remain in me. Remain in me. He says, if you remain in me and I in you, he goes, you'll bear much fruit. It's this beautiful picture of a branch connected to a vine. And the life is pulsating out of that vine into the branch and fruit comes out. But Jesus then gives these haunting words, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. That's an absolute statement. And it, Jesus there with his disciples in the first century, and by extension to us today, is calling for a decision. He's calling for a decision. Do you really believe this? Do you really believe that apart from me, you can make your life work? You could do it for a little while. And especially here for us here in North Jersey, we can do it probably for a long while. Right, with enough resources and money and time, we can make work, life work to a degree. And there's enough distractions, enough things to keep us moving and seemingly make us happy for a while. But life doesn't work forever that way, does it? And eventually, things break down. Eventually, things are exposed. Eventually, we become, like Jesus said, if a, vine, if a branch is separated from the vine, it withers. It withers. It becomes dried out. And burned down. That word wither is a, is a strong word throughout scriptures. You see any description when, whether it's physical, the hand of a person is withered, or God's people are in a dry land and they're withered. You'll see really it's a picture of life apart from God. And God constantly encourages, God constantly calls us back to him to be reconnected to the vine so we can flourish, remain in him as he remains in us. I think Jesus would have pulled, no doubt, from the prophet Jeremiah where there was a stark, another stark contrast that's given in Jeremiah 17. Listen to this description. Those who, trust, who don't trust in God versus those who do. Verse, chapter 17, verse 5, we read this. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, 
and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed, listen to this, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Wow, what a stark contrast. Our first serious language here from the prophet Jeremiah as God delivers it through him. Cursed is the one, in essence, who trusts in humans alone, right? Cursed are the ones who, who, who trust only in themselves, right? And their resources, their abilities, and their ways, right? It's like being a bush in a wasteland. And for me, it's like an image of trying to quench your thirst by drinking salt water. Like the more you drink, the worse it gets, here, prophet Jeremiah to God saying, that's not the way to go. But there's another choice. He says, but blessed, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. And if you make that choice to put your confidence in God, you'll be like a tree planted by streams of water. Where even when heat comes, your leaves are green. It's a beautiful picture. It's a stark contrast. It's a choice that we all have to face. And with God's grace to make towards him. So what does this mean for us today? Right, coming back to the initial word noise. Noise. We face a seemingly infinite amount of noise in our lives. It's everywhere. Even when we try and turn it off, it could come from within. Right? And that noise is a danger to us. That noise can crowd out God, and that noise can crowd out meaningful relationships. Right, we may have lots of connections. Someone last week said it best. He said, I feel like, I, he said, I have over a thousand connections, but I feel like I know no one. Ooh. He says, I have over a thousand connections, but I feel like I know no one. Right? In this world where we can have superficial relationships, God says there's something more. There's a deeper relationship with him, and there's a deeper relationship with others. And if we're honest, I'll be honest with you, for me, I feel more at home in the noise. I feel at home in the noise. Something about the noise feels good. Yeah, many of you know I, I grew up in this area, and so I left this area for a while, and maybe I slowed down a bit down in uh, Virginia, but now I'm back, right? So I feel the noise. I feel the adrenaline. I feel when I'm driving, right? I mean, we're, when I'm driving, I'm like, I'm back, like, man, and it's not all good, right? I'm like, man, jug handles, turning left. When, I mean, it's crazy, right? So I'm feeling the noise. And so honestly, and especially leading up to this, I'm preaching to myself because the weeks leading up to this sermon, until this week, I mean, all the discernment in terms of God calling me and my family here, all the packing of boxes, all the saying goodbye, all the filling out forms, and then moving our stuff here. Miraculously, it showed up, and now unpacking the boxes and trying to get settled I realized earlier this week, I'm preaching on noise and I'm not living it. I need to return to some time of silence and solitude and stillness. And so I've done that this week in the mornings. And it's really allowed me to change and to feel God's presence. And boy, my longing is for every single one of you 
to experience the living waters of Jesus that comes from that time with him. Because we all need to be renewed in the midst of the noise in which we can find ourselves feeling withered. Right? The Apostle Paul in Romans 12 too, right? he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? Then, then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Now, no doubt, most of the time I've read that verse over my life, I've thought about what it means to be renewed or have our mind transformed. It's through the reading of God's word, right? Studying, reading and studying and even memorizing God's word. That's the way to renew your mind, and that's still primary. But right alongside of that are times of prayer without taking in more information, but simply sitting in the presence of God and being still with him. You know, it's been said, and it's true, that those that you love and that you have a close relationship with, you don't really need to talk to feel close to them. And sometimes if you're in the presence of someone that you love, just simply being in their presence is a wonderful thing. And it's with those that we don't know well. Like if you get an Uber or something they used to call taxis, right? You get in and you, like I know for me, I used to start talking to people and talking to them because you don't know them and either can ignore them or you start talking. But people we don't know well, a lot of times we fill that gap with noise and conversations. But with people that we love, sometimes, I know Laurie and I, sometimes just sitting on our porch swing and not saying a word, we're together. You know that God invites you to that same type of experience with him. Where sometimes you don't have to talk or ask all these things or even confess, just simply be with him. And so my question to you as we think about what it means for us first to be still before we move forward, um, do you feel withered today? Do you feel withered today? And if it's not today, I know you could most likely name a time sometime recently where you have felt withered, burned out, spent. Um, and my invitation to you, and ultimately it's an invitation from Jesus himself, is to let God uniquely restore you through silence and solitude and stillness with him. To follow Jesus, to follow his way. Now, before we go into how to actually do this, I want to talk about the unique struggles that we'll have. Some of you, some of you, well, first one, if you're like me, silence can be very difficult. If you're someone who's an active thinker, right, there's always ideas, always things going in your mind. If you're an active thinker, silence is probably going to be the hardest part of this for you. I love looking at and seeing people look at each other. It's like, you're that person, right? So like, silence. Now, if you're an empathetic feeler, and you're a relator, and you relate to people, and you have conversations nonstop seemingly with, with people, whether on the phone, in person, texting, and you feel like you're constantly in conversation with people, solitude is going to be the hardest part for you. Disengaging from other people. Now, if you're a person who is an achiever or an improver, right, get things done, taskless, on the move, stillness will be the hardest part for you. All of us struggle with all three to some extent because the world that we live in doesn't foster silence, solitude, and stillness. But based on your unique makeup and who you are, you'll struggle uniquely with one of the three. But Jesus shows the way in Mark 1.35 how to combat the noise. And if we don't go on offense against the noise, the noise will overtake us. And it's up to us as followers of Christ, like Jesus, to make intentional decisions to find time with God. And in Jesus' own words, to remain in him and he in us, and in doing so, we will bear much fruit. 
So in light of this, I want to give us you know, one, thing to, one thing to remember, one thing to do, and then questions to consider this week. The one thing to remember is this. God uniquely restores us as we meet with him in silence, solitude, and stillness. He uniquely restores us. All right, so how do we do this? What's one thing to do? I'm going to call this a seven-by-seven seven challenge. Right, seven-by-seven seven challenge for this week. And for some, this is going to be painful. Good, right? I'm called as a spiritual trainer not to be your best friend all the time. It's going to be painful. Right, seven-by-seven seven challenge. Engage in silence, solitude, and stillness for the next seven days for seven minutes each day as a way to be renewed as a follower of Jesus. Right, so starting tomorrow morning, right, carve out seven minutes, right, to find a place where there's where there's silence, where there's not going to be any noise, right? So I don't know what that looks like for you. For me, I've found out the deck in my backyard is a good place. I always have loved the front porch in the back. Find a place where there's silence. And if it means getting up early before there's lots of movement, do that as well. Find silence. Then solitude. Find a place to be alone, right? Not with another person, not where, hey, you could be a minute or two and someone's like, hey, did you hear about the Mets losing again? No, we don't want that noise in our lives, right? Lastly, a place you could be still. And so, yeah, there's, there's good places for prayer walks and, and movement. For, for this exercise, to actually sit still and not be on the move. All right, here's how I, I recommend doing it. Start with one minute of silence. One minute of silence. All right, simply, I mean, I would say if you have your phone in as a timer, make sure you're on do not disturb so your notifications don't mess you up. But set a, a one-minute one minute timeline and simply sit still. Again, this may be a foreign language for some of you. Sit still. Be quiet before God. Be silent. And you could pray something like this. Jesus, here I am. Or God, here I am. And try it just for the next, after that 58 and a half seconds or so, of just being quiet. Right? And when your mind, not if, but when your mind wanders to something, simply say, God, I'm back. And for some of you, that may happen 58 times in 58 seconds. That's okay. It's good to practice coming back to God, right? So come back to God and say, that's that. And then I would say that on Tuesday, if you really want to be an A student, and there's a lot of achievers in this crowd, right? Bump it up to two minutes. If you want to go all in, by the time the week is over, go up to seven. But give yourself a lot of grace. This is like, for many, if not most of you, something you may have never tried before. Even if at a minimum, take one minute. And then for the next six minutes, yeah, read scripture, pray. But see if you could expand that time of silence out over the week. And so for the next seven days, to carve out seven minutes for this exercise, where at least one minute is complete silence, and then see if you could increase it. And see what God does in your life. And again, like I said, with all these Let's Dance sermons, this is just an introduction. We're going to dive deep into this sometime in the very near future. My wife, Laurie, and I have taught the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course in the past. And it's written by Pete Scazzaro, right? A pastor and an author who's in Queens. And it's been highly formative to us. So a lot of those principles for us, the contemplative life can happen in the 21st century. Um, but this is just an introduction. And so for the next seven days, see what happens. Let me give you three questions to ponder as you do. One, what are some sources of noise in your life? Right, play the movie of your day. Right, it's, um, it's probably good I left my phone down there because like, even I could feel it, right? It's almost like you're always, I'm always reaching for my phone. 
especially when it's buzzing in my pocket. Oh, who is it? You know, so that, but what's the, what are those things, what are, what are those sources of noise in your life? Two, all right, think about this. To what extent do you realize you are allowing this noise to crowd out God and others? Think about that this week. Maybe you've never thought about this. How much the noise can crowd out God and others in terms of meaningful relationships in your life. Think about that. And lastly, what could change if you started each day by engaging in silence, solitude, and stillness? What could change? So just try it this week. Seven by seven challenge. The next seven days, carve out seven minutes to be alone and quiet and still with God and see what he does. Again, we'll continue to pursue this as a church family uh, in the years ahead. So we're going to practice this now. Not seven minutes, that's a long time. One minute, 60 seconds. We're going to practice this. And we're simply going to be quiet before God and still. And after that 60 seconds, I'll pray, and then we'll continue with our worship service. Uh, but I invite you in this time, I invite you to hold out your hands in front. This is a posture for me of receptivity and surrender. Say, God, here I am. And so I'm going to give us 60 seconds um, to simply be quiet. Before. This might be the only time you've had silence all week long, and may that be a gift to you. Um, so let's take 60 seconds of silence, and then I'll pray for us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the invitation and the command to be still and to know that you are God. Lord, the strongholds in our life that um, are real, that we are pulled to noise even in this last 60 seconds, I'm sure we can feel the pull to reach into our pockets or to, for our phones or to, um, to embrace and to, to, to try to reach and Reach for something, God. But Lord, in that emptiness, in that space, God, you are there. And so I pray and ask, God, that you would move in a mighty way this week, that you give each and every single one of us uh, the opportunity to meet with you in a different way. God, there's so much noise in our lives. And God, if we don't go on offense with your grace and help and the supernatural power of your spirit, Lord, we will be crowded out and we will wither. We need your help.
And so I pray for every person here and online, anyone who is seeing this sermon, that you would give them the supernatural ability to carve out time this week to be silent, to be alone, and to be still with you. And that the gift of silence and solitude and stillness would create space for us to be renewed and restored and ultimately reconnected to you. Help us in this endeavor and, and in the years ahead as we look to even more what this means. I pray that this would become a marker of our church family in the midst of a very, very noisy world. And so God, we look to you. We commit ourselves to you in the powerful and matchless name of Jesus. Amen.